Good morning. Welcome to all of you that are gathered here, along with those listening on radio and watching us live on Facebook. I want to thank Sharon Cheney and Grace Rediger, pardon my short-mindedness here, for the prelude this morning. And also, while we're talking about music later on, we will have Kay Nolde and Sharon lead us in our first song this morning. I have a couple announcements before we start our service. The Rose on the Altar is in honor of Terry and Rebecca Houston's 57th wedding anniversary, which they will be celebrating tomorrow. So congratulations to both of you. Today is Operation Christmas Child Send-Off. That will take place later on today, and we'll also be welcoming a new member this morning. That takes care of my announcements for this morning. Now, if you, those who are able, would you please rise and join me in our call to worship. This morning is taken from Psalm 138. I will praise you, Lord, with all my heart. Before the gods, I will sing your praise. I will bow down toward your holy temple and will praise your name for your unfailing love and your faithfulness. For you have so exalted your solemn decree that it surpasses your fame. When I called, you answered me. You greatly emboldened me. May all the kings of the earth praise you, Lord, when they hear what you have decreed. May they sing in the ways of the Lord, for the glory of the Lord is great. Though the Lord is exalted, he looks kindly on the lowly. Though lofty, he sees them from afar. Though I walk in the midst of trouble, you preserve my life. You stretch out your hand against the angel of my foes. With your right hand you save me. The Lord will vindicate me. Your love, Lord, endures forever. Do not abandon the works of your hands. Now please remain standing for opening hymn, Holy, Holy, Holy.
seated. And now will the children come forward for the children's chat with Carolyn Lammers. Good morning. How was your week? Guess how my week was. Yeah. What happened? Huh? Sidewalk grabbed my foot. Broke my wrist. What do we have here? Play-Doh. How many of you play with Play-Doh? Oh. Tell me something about Play-Doh. I got it in my house. You do? I bet you got more than one color. I've got my helper here with me today. Yeah. Ah, there it comes out. What color is this? It is your favorite. Wow. Okay, what can you do with Play-Doh? Squash it. Make things out of it. Does that work nice? Huh? This is good stuff. Now, when you choose friends... You have to choose the right kind of friends because this is kind of like us when we're little. And my hand is like all the people that you come in contact with. Okay? So these people that come in contact can make you in to what you grew up to be sometimes. So if you have friends that are mean and they're bullies and they aren't nice to you, and they make you do things you don't want to do, are those good friends? They make you kind of flat. Can you hold anything in there? No. They're not, they're not very good friends, are they? All right. So we're going to roll it back up into a ball again. And then there's those friends that are nice, and they're kind of fun to be with, but they don't like or think about God. So they just kind of, they're kind of wimpy. They're fun to be with, but are they really the kind of people you want to be around all the time? You have to like everybody, but you got to be careful about your best friends. So is this ball going to hold anything? No, no. The friends that you want closest to you are the ones that want the same thing for you that God wants for you. And that friend will mold you into the type of person that you'll grow up to be. Now, what am I doing here? What am I making? Making a basket or like a cup? Because your friends, they want you to be really deep inside See that? How deep that is? They want you to be really, really deep inside. You know why? Because they want you to hold all the special things that God gives you. And those special things are like the gifts of the Holy Spirit, like peace and faithfulness and joy and kindness Now, is that what the bad friends looked like, made you look like? Couldn't hold anything in there, could you? How about the nice friends but don't believe in God type of friends? They couldn't hold anything. But this kind of a friend can really have you hold a lot of stuff in there. And that's pretty awesome, isn't it? It starts with who you let to be your best friends. We need to like everybody, but sometimes they can turn into best friends by what you do. So you think about that. When you choose your best friends, make sure they want for you what God wants for you. Let us say a prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, help us to be careful about who molds us and influences now. Because when we get older and grow up, we get, we get like pottery clay and we get hard and, and we want to be able to hold all the things. We want to be molded in, in your image. So help us, Lord, today to choose our best friends wisely and not to let people mold us with fun, peer pressure, or fear. So eventually we'll be able to hold lots of the Spirit from the Lord. In Jesus' name we pray.
Amen. Amen. Thank you, Carolyn. Thanks, kids. You guys can head back to your seats. What a joy to see all these kids up here for Children's Chat this morning. This time, I want to invite forward Stephanie Opperman and her family. So we'll be receiving her into membership here this morning. Awesome, you guys can come on right up, right on up here. Well, Stephanie, we're glad to have you here, and it's nice to see your whole family up here with you, too. Um, for those of you who don't know Stephanie, um, I know I've gotten a chance to, to first meet you when you were and Ryan were attending our Bible study on Tuesday nights at our house. It's been a real joy to get to know you through that time. Then, of course, with premarital counseling with you and Ryan, um, it was just a real joy to, to get to know you even better that way. And so um, I just can tell you, if you don't know her, Stephanie's a wonderful person, a real woman of faith and woman of God. And it's great to have you here this morning and be able to welcome you into membership here at First Church. So um, I've kind of given Stephanie a little, little bit of a heads up about the questions I'll be asking her this morning. They're the same questions we typically ask all members as they are joining the church. And so um, the reason we, ha- we invite you forward here today is that to just single you out or to embarrass you in front of everybody. But one, it's a chance for everybody to, that doesn't know you maybe on a personal level to get to see you. And then maybe after the service, they can socially distance, congratulate you and welcome you into the church. Uh, but it's also an opportunity for us to also witness your faith, which, you know, we've and those who know you have seen that on a personal level. But it's an opportunity for us, for you to stand before the Lord and stand before his church and be able to, to profess that yourself. So that's what these questions are really geared toward. And so my plan here this morning is just ask you these questions again. Hopefully nothing here is taking you by surprise. Um, but and then afterwards, uh, I'd love to, to pray for you as we welcome you into Christ Church here this morning. Normally, we would invite the elders to come forward and lay hands on you. But again, given the circumstances, we thought maybe that wasn't the best idea. And so uh, in, in lieu of that, I will be asking as a church body that we would kind of in spirit be praying for you and praying over you this morning. So with that being said, I'd love to ask you these following questions. One, do you confess Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior and pledge your allegiance to his kingdom? I do. And do you receive and profess the Christian faith as contained in the scriptures of the Old and New Testaments? And do you promise, according to the grace given to you, to live a Christian life and always remain a faithful member of Christ's holy church? Praise God. At this time, what I'd like to do is read our, our vision and mission statement together. And as I do so, this is not just for you, Stephanie, but this is for all of us who are members of this church. It's a great reminder of what God is calling us to do and calling us to be as the body of Christ. And so as I read these words, I want you to to think for yourself, especially if you are a member of our church, of how we are called, how you are called to live out uh, this vision and this mission in your own life, and how we as a church can do so together as we faithfully seek to serve Christ in this world. And so First Church is a community of faith who engages biblical truth to provide an environment where people mature as disciples of Christ. And so to accomplish our mission, First Church will encounter our Creator Embrace Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord and to become his disciples. Empower lives through God's living word, the Bible. Engage with the Holy Spirit to provide guidance and direction. Encourage others to know Christ and strengthen their relationship with God and to enrich the body of Christ by going forth and supporting fellow disciples. And so now, Stephanie, that you are becoming a member of this church, do you promise to participate in the life and worship of this church and to live out this mission statement with the help of God to the best of your ability? Praise God. Praise God. As I said before, this would normally be the moment where we lay hands on you and pray. But in lieu of that, what I want to do is invite you as, as, as Stephanie's new church family to take a moment and pray with me in spirit. If you'd like to extend a hand in her direction, as in lieu of being able to lay hands on her, that's appropriate as well. But I invite all of you to join me now in prayer as we welcome Stephanie into this church. Father God, it's always a joyous occasion to welcome a new member into our church family. I pray now that you would encourage and equip Stephanie to live faithfully for you within the context of this family. We are so grateful for her and her faith and her commitment to you. And I pray that we as a church family would be able to encourage and support her in that endeavor. I pray, Lord, you'd encourage her to live out that mission statement to the best of her ability. I pray that she would always keep you first in her life and that she would find ways to not only continue to grow in her faith, 
but to serve you, Lord, and give back to others. Lord, help her and help all of us to always live out the great commandment and the great commission, to love you, Lord our God, with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength, to love our neighbor as ourself, and to go forth and to make disciples in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Lord, that is what you call all of us to do, and that is what we hope to do here as a church. And Lord, we thank you that another person is is coming alongside us and joining our church family to help live out that mission to the best of our ability. We pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. Congratulations. It's so nice to have you guys up here this morning. And again, if you get a chance to after the service, take a moment and congratulate Stephanie. Welcome to the church. All right. At this point, I'd like to invite forward Sharon Colson. Uh, as Jack said in our announcements this morning, it is Operation Christmas Child Send-Off, and she's going to be sharing with you a little bit about uh, what's going on today and what will be happening in the next few days as the boxes are collected and sent on their way. And uh, before you share, I just want to take a moment and thank you for all that you've done last year as well as this year to to make this happen. Um, last year was a, was a huge success, and we saw really a record number of boxes for us here as a church. And this year was a little bit of a different challenge, wasn't it? <laughs> doing, doing this and, and trying to uh, collect donations and do this in the middle of a pandemic and everything that's been going on and the restrictions that are in place. So thank you for adapting to all the different challenges and for all that you're able to do this year. So I want to turn it over to you, give you a chance to talk about it a little bit, and then during our prayer time, we'll be praying for Operation Christmas Child. I do have tissues just in case. <laughs> First, I do want to thank Grace and um, the other person who prayed, did the prelude this morning. Um, oh, yeah, Sharon. <laughs> for the song, which is one of my favorites, and it is very appropriate, actually, for today, for Celebration Sunday, because we are gathering together to ask the Lord's blessing on these boxes. This is what we refer to as Celebration Sunday. As you know, I have a passion for Operation Christmas Child. My brother tried for years to get me to come to the processing center. And I believe this is probably his 18th or 19th year to go to a processing center. Life was always in the way. And when I went the first time, I was hooked. For those of you that were here when I did the first church kickoff back in August, I told about this box and how this box came to me by a fluke as my husband and I were working, volunteering with Salvation Army at Kroger's. Someone brought this box in that I recognized from New Knoxville. And they had missed the collection time and had thought that there was a drop-off at Kroger's. And I explained that I was the project chair for First Church, and I would be more than happy to make sure that this box made it to a processing center this year. I can't tell you how many times I have prayed over this box. And the others. As you have seen, there is a black trailer out in the alleyway that I have been packing with the shoeboxes as they've come in. Rather than doing the bucket brigade like we did last year from the social room, I knew COVID prohibited so many hands from touching the boxes. And so I've been loading them as they come in. I accept all these gifts from individuals, churches all over. There are families that pack. There are Sunday school classes that pack. There are fraternities, sororities all over the world that pack boxes for Operation Christmas Child. And I want to explain a little bit about their journey. Once these boxes are packed, 
and brought to the local churches. They then are sent off, which is what we're doing today, to a local drop-off, which for us is going to be Zion Lutheran Church in St. Mary's. From there, they will be put into cases and loaded onto a semi and go to one of eight processing centers. Let me explain a little bit how the processing centers work because I encourage you. It is so much fun. You will enjoy every moment of being at a processing center. As the boxes come off, as the cases come off of the semis onto a conveyor, they go to one of almost 100 lines. And at each line, there is a minimum of eight people working, possibly as many as 10 or 12. The first person on either side takes the rubber band off the box, takes, looks for money, because no money goes with the box. Those are all deposited and stayed within Operation Christmas Child headquarters for the shipping, of course. The second and third persons on the line then take the box again and gently open the lid and check to see if there are forbidden items in the box. And we've talked about forbidden items before. Anything that is a forbidden item gets pulled out and is donated to a different charitable organization. If the box is not a full, complete, packed box, there are filler items that are added. Once the box has been inspected and is full, then it gets put back up on the shelf, and then the taper takes it down and puts one band of tape around it, hands it to the people at the end of the line who then place it in a age-appropriate, gender-appropriate carton. Once the carton is full, it is put on another conveyor line and goes uh, down the conveyor line where then the case is taped into the waiting semi. From there, they go all over. Last year, I tracked one box. It went to Uganda. And we do have the option to track your boxes. It's not something that I have necessarily encouraged because of the fact that with church paying for most of the uh, shipping, it would be a little bit more of a logistical problem. But as individuals, you certainly do have the ability every year to follow your box. Because of the fact that we did not have a COVID, or because of the fact that we did not have a packing party, I feel that the number of boxes that are packed at this point is down because the packing party last year, I believe, if I recall, netted about 249 boxes. Also, I am grateful to have the room upstairs above the elevator, but I do know that it is a burden for some to go up the steps. But that being said, the donations have been up. I had several sets of donations even this morning, even this week. Currently, we are right around 430 boxes. Last year we sold five, sold, I'm sorry. Last year we we packed 501. Therefore, I do encourage you after church, if you would like to come up to the room above the elevator, there's plenty of boxes that are empty yet. There are plenty of filler items yet. And I believe there are plenty of items yet that we could probably pack and meet the goal of 501. The trailer will, we're scheduled to take the trailer to St. Mary's on Wednesday. Therefore, I do encourage you, if you would like, to pack a box yet and get it to the church here by Wednesday, and I will make sure 
that it gets included in the count. I want to thank the church for providing the shoeboxes this year, same as last year. I want to thank the youth group for folding boxes for me. Even in March, the senior adults made bracelets out of beads for me. I want to thank those of you who packed boxes. I want to thank those of you who donated items. And I want to thank those of you who gave monetary donations. And there are envelopes over here in the Heritage Room if you would like to contribute financially either towards postage or towards the purchase of additional items. Most of all, I want to thank you all for your prayers and your support. Thanks, Sharon. So in just a a few minutes, we're going to have a time of prayer after we worship together a little bit. During that time of prayer, we will be praying for Operation Christmas Child, as well as all the boxes that were packed and donated here at First Church and all the ones around in the different communities around this nation that are donating to Operation Christmas Child. And we'll be collecting them all this week to go through the process that Sharon just talked about. So... Uh, as, as we pray about that, I want to encourage you to, to lift up not just First Church, but all those that are packing boxes as a way to um, pray for God's blessing upon them. Other things to consider to, about prayer, I want to encourage you to be praying for the names and families that are represented in your prayers and concerns list, as well as uh, for our designated offering for this morning, which is going to spark Carl Lanham with Nation of, Nation of Coaches. You guys are familiar with Coach Carl. He was previously with Athletes in Action. Um, he is with a different organization now, but doing the same sort of ministry. So I want to encourage you to be lifting him up in prayer as well. I also want to encourage you to continue to be praying for our pandemic and our nation and our world. And want to encourage you to, uh, given the, the rise in cases that have been around our our nation, our state, uh, to encourage you to do is continue to practice social distancing measures as best as possible, especially while we're here at church, so we can continue to worship together, worship the Lord together as, as, as often as long as we can. Let's take a moment as, and turn our attention to the Lord in worship by singing the praise song, Blessed Be Your Name. It's a great reminder that we can worship the Lord, we can lift up His name no matter what is going on in our lives, good and bad, He is still worthy of our praise.
your, may your name be blessed this morning as we worship you through music, through the reading of your word, and, and now in this moment through prayer. Lord, help us to see and know for ourselves. Help us to experience in our own lives, Lord, the reality that your name is great and you are worthy of praise. Lord, not just in the good times, but in the bad as well. Lord, we all face challenges, uh, great and small. We all face difficulties. Lord Jesus, you said that in this world we will have trouble, but we don't have to fear and we can take heart because you have overcome the world. So, Lord, hardship and and, and difficulties are a reality that all of us will experience and all of us are experiencing to one shape or another right now in this moment. And so help us, Lord, to turn to you and, and lift up your name in praise and say that your name is blessed and that you are worthy of our praise even in the most difficult moments of our lives. Lord, with that in mind, we do pray for the names and families that are represented in the bulletin. Each one represents a a situation, Lord, a difficulty, a hardship. And so we, we ask for your will to be done in those situations. Where healing is needed, we pray that you would, you would make well. Where provision is needed, we pray, Lord, that you would provide in, in a way that only you can. Where guidance and wisdom is needed, Lord, we pray your Holy Spirit would be present and point people in the right direction. We pray especially this day for Operation Christmas Child. We thank you for the many, many donations that have been given. And thank you, Lord, that even in the midst of the the pandemic and the uncertainty we've experienced these last months, that you have have blessed and provided for that, that ministry, Lord, through your people. And we thank you for that. We pray as the boxes are collected this week from in this church and, and in churches around this country, that each box would be a blessing to the one who receives it. And Lord, a blessing not just materially, but spiritually as well. As the children who receive these boxes also hear the gospel, Lord, may may you soften hearts and may you draw people to yourself through this ministry. Lord, we also pray for our nation and our world as we continue to navigate this pandemic. We pray for your blessing. We pray for your healing for those who are sick. We pray for wisdom on how best, Lord, to to navigate this crisis in our communities, in our lives, in our businesses, in our homes, in our churches, Lord. May you grant us wisdom and may you grant us guidance in that area. And we pray especially for our leaders that you would grant them wisdom in their decision-making at a national, state, and local level. We pray all these things in the name of Jesus, who taught us to pray, saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. Tracy's here for our scripture reading this morning. The scripture reading this morning is from Proverbs 2. Verses 16 through 19. Wisdom will save you also from the adulterous woman, from the wayward woman with her seductive words, who has left the partner of her youth and ignored the covenant she made before God. Surely her house leads down to death and her paths to the spirits of the dead. None who go to her return or attain the paths of life. And from Proverbs 22, verse 6, start children off on the way they should go, And even when they are old, they will not turn from it. Thank you. Let's pray together again. Lord God, I thank you for the reading of your word. I pray now as we turn our attention to what scripture has to say for us about wise relationships, that you would give us insight and guidance, Lord. Help us to see the truth of your word clearly uh, and help us not just to see it and hear it, but to live it out. I pray that you give me words to speak this morning, Lord, and that you open our hearts and minds to what you have to say to us. We pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. So today we are wrapping up our our series here on the book of Proverbs, this practical wisdom for everyday life. And and I want to take a moment before we get started to just thank Pastor Tori. I believe she's down in the, the nursery this morning, but she did a wonderful job talking about Proverbs 31 last week. And as we were putting this 
series together as I was praying through how to handle the different topics and everything that was coming up in Proverbs. And as Tori alluded to, I talked with her about, about Proverbs 31. And, and, and I was kind of thinking of ending this series with this idea of, of the wise woman and the wise man, right? Kind of, kind of tackling it from those two perspectives, given what Proverbs uh, had to say about wisdom. And as Tori rightly pointed out to us last week, you know, just as it is with Proverbs 31 talking about what a, a woman of valor is, it doesn't just apply to women, right? And, and Tori did a great job of, of extrapolating that out to the entire body of Christ, men and women, what it means to be a person of faithful character. You know, the same is true for these other passages in Proverbs that, that seem directed at men or husbands or fathers are also applicable and also true for, for women and wives and mothers, and so instead of talking about wise men and wise women, what we decided to do is, as you heard from Tori last week, talking about uh, being a, a celebration of valor from Proverbs 31. Today, we're looking at wise relationships in general. So as we read these passages and you hear talks about husbands and, you know, think don't don't just write yourself off. I'm not talking to just half the people in the room here. This applies to all of us. In fact, when, uh, when we look at the, the relationships that are described in the book of Proverbs, they spend a lot of time talking about family relationships, about the relationship between husband and wife, about the relationship between parent and child. And so I want to wrap up our series here this morning focusing on those relationships. And the reason I believe that Proverbs talks about those relationships in particular so much is because the relationship you have with your spouse and with your child are the most important relationships you'll have in this world, this side of eternity. Right? Jesus obviously is number one. He is and should be the most important relationship we have in our lives, whether you're married, whether you're single, whether you have kids, whether you don't. Jesus is number one. But after that should come our spouse at number two, our children at number three, and then everything else a distant fourth. Right, whether that's work, whether that's neighbors, uh, uh, friends from college or from school, right? All of those other relationships are good and valuable, but but a distant fourth compared to Jesus, your spouse, and your children. And so that's why Proverbs spends a lot of time talking about those things, and why we should spend some time here this morning focusing on them as well. But before we dive into Scripture, I have quite a long uh, introduction I want to share with you by way of laying a foundation for us. And the first thing I want to share with you is that just because those relationships are important, it doesn't mean that they're going to be easy. In fact, like many other good and important things in life, they take effort. Right? Eating healthy is important, but it's not easy. Right? It's much easier to heat up the frozen burrito from the freezer or pillaging your kid's Halloween candy than it is to, to make healthy decisions and eat well. Like I know from experience what that's like. Right? The honeymoon, uh, uh, especially looking at marriages, right? the honeymoon period doesn't last forever. It's not meant to. Couples aren't going to experience the same emotional high they experience on day one of their marriage that they do on day 300 or day 3,000. Right? It's not all Song of Solomon from that point on, right? Eventually, the reality of life, the reality of family, of finances, of stress, they all set in, and, t- and, and that relationship, in one sense, comes back down to earth. But I don't say that to discourage you. I say that because it's reality, right? That's marriage. It's life. If you expect marriage to be a honey- at your honeymoon level all the time, you'll be sadly disappointed, Right, that's, why, that's why we require premarital counseling for the couples that want to get married here at First Church. It's not just to make them jump through a hoop before they get married. And it's not just to talk about the wedding ceremony itself, although that's part of it. It's more than that. We attempt to prepare them for a lifelong commitment to one another. And one of the points that I reiterate with those couples over and over again is that marriage is hard, that it takes work, but it's worth it. It requires buy-in from both sides, from both husband and wife. They both need to commit themselves 100% to the relationship. Notice I didn't say 50-50. It's 100% to that relationship. And even then, there will be bumps in the road that they have to navigate together. And that's important, an important point. Right? They navigate those problems together, not separately, right? but together. Husband and wife are a team. 
One of the most common misconceptions about marriage is the belief that husband and wife uh, butt heads all the time, that they're at odds with each other, that they're on the opposite side of every problem, and that they continue to fight it out until one of them gets their way. I once was walking through Hobby Lobby with Allie, you know, looking at all the different signs and decorations they had, and they had one that said, I'd agree with you, but then we'd both be wrong, right? Like, that's not what marriage, that's not the perspective we're called to have in marriage. Instead, we need to remember that husband and wife are on the same team. Genesis 2.24 talks about, this is Adam seeing Eve for the first time. He says, this is why a man leaves his father and mother and is united to his wife, and they become one flesh, Right? One flesh, one team, partners together through life. And so the two become one. And so when problems arise, it's not husband versus wife, but it's husband and wife together versus the problem. Right? That changes our perspective completely. Do you see the difference there? One is husband and wife versus each other. The other is husband and wife on one team versus whatever problems that they have or they're experiencing in life. That's not to say at times one might be at fault or one might be more at fault or more share, have more of a share of the blame. But, but the moment you start fighting each other, it's going to go downhill from there. You need to be on the same team tackling the problem as one. So family is important. Family is hard, but it's worth fighting for. And the reason family uh, relationships, whether it's husband and wife or parent and child, are so difficult is because of the reality of sin. We're all sinners in need of a Savior, every last one of us. And when we get two sinful people committed to live life together, it's going to get messy. You throw in children who are also very much sinners in their own tiny, adorable, annoying way, and it gets even messier, right? Conflict is inevitable in those sorts of relationships. But that's not hopeless resignation. That's reality. And you can't deal with it if you ignore the source of the problem, And so the key to a strong marriage, the key to a strong family and raising your kids well is not found in yourself, right? The power to be the perfect husband or the perfect wife or the perfect parent or the perfect child is not in you, right? It's in a relationship with Christ. That's the key is to keep Christ at the center of your relationships. Do you want to be a better husband? Then put Christ first. Then you will learn to love your life, love your wife well. You want to be a better wife? Then put Christ first in your, relation, in your life. Then you will learn to love your husband well also. The same goes for being better parents and better children. The more we put Christ first, the more those other important relationships in our life will come together. As I said, I say all of this kind of by way of introduction this morning. I haven't even talked about the scripture passages from Proverbs yet. But there's two more things that I have to say before we move on. First is, is I need to be absolutely clear, right? I don't stand here and tell you all that I have to say this morning because I have, because uh, I'm a perfect husband and have a perfect marriage and have perfect kids and that I've got it all figured out because I haven't, right? I'm still a work in progress myself. You can just ask Allie if you want proof, right? She's a wonderful wife and deserves an award for putting up with me. But that's the whole point, isn't it? That's the point of the gospel. That's the point of scripture is that none of us are perfect, right? Myself included. I remember the first few times I sat down to do premarital counseling with couples when I first moved to New Knoxville, I felt like a deer caught in headlights, kind of being on that side of the desk, trying to give advice to couples who are beginning their marriage together. I don't give advice as an expert in this area, far from it. Instead, I am one beggar telling another beggar where to find food. There's no perfect marriage, there are no perfect parents, but we can all look to Christ, look to God's word together, and find hope. And the second thing that's important to remember is that there are people here today, people listening on the radio or watching on Facebook, that aren't married, that aren't parents. And so the temptation would be to tune out this message here this morning. But there's a couple things I have to say to those in that situation one, you won't be, you won't, you may not always be single forever. You may be married one day. You may not, you may have kids one day yourself. And so this advice may be helpful in the future. But second, and perhaps more important, is that the book of Proverbs and scripture as a whole uses marriage and uses the, the relationship between parent and child as a way to describe an individual's relationship with God. 
Those earthly relationships teach us something about what it means to know God and have a relationship with him. And so while the author of Proverbs is giving advice on how to remain faithful to your spouse on a practical level, it's also talking about the dangers of sin and temptation on a more general level. In fact, the Old Testament prophets often described God's people as an unfaithful wife running after other gods instead of remaining faithful to him. So don't tune this out. As Pastor Tori reminded us last week, we are all the bride of Christ. So let's learn how we can remain faithful to him as well as remain faithful in our earthly relationships. And so I'd like to talk about two relationships uh, in particular from the book of Proverbs here. And one is the relationship with your spouse. You're Tracy Reed from Proverbs chapter 2, verses 16 through 19. There are some other passages that I was looking at originally, much longer, much more detailed, but I feel like this one is a great, succinct, makes a great succinct point that the other ones simply kind of build on and, and, and expand. So from Proverbs 2, we see that wisdom, the fear of the Lord, and the application of knowledge, right? All those things we've been talking about these past few weeks are, will help save you from a, the adulterous woman, from those adulterous relationships, right? What Proverbs 2 in these verses does is it gives us a picture of the temptation and progress of sin, both in a relationship like that, but in a more general way as well. There's three things that happen here. First is the temptation itself, the seductive words of that other woman. In Proverbs 5, 3 through 4, they paint a more detailed picture. For the lips of the adulterous woman drip honey, and her speech is smoother than oil. But in the end, she is as bitter as gall, sharp as a double-edged sword. Right, That first step in that way is the temptation itself. In that moment, sin offers temporary pleasure, but it, it itself is fleeting. The second thing that happens is sin, right? This woman is described as one who is unfaithful, leaving her partner and ignoring her covenant with God. It's one thing to be tempted. It's another thing entirely to give into that temptation and succumb to sin. Jesus was tempted in the wilderness, right? Jesus didn't sin, but he was tempted. In fact, the book of Hebrews says that he was tempted in every possible way, yet remained faithful to God. So temptation and sin are two very different things. But if we're not careful, temptation will then lead to sin if we act on it. And then we see finally the consequence of that sin is death. Sin promises pleasure, but it only leads to death. Nothing good can come from it. And so the author of Proverbs warns us over and over again about the dangers of sin and unfaithfulness in marriage. The two passages that I, was, that I would encourage you to read on your own are Proverbs 5, 1 through 23, as well as Proverbs 6, 20 through 35. They are really uh, expanding on this idea that he introduces here in Proverbs 2. And there's several lessons we can learn from that. One is that the adultery and other forms of unfaithfulness in marriage is like playing with fire. You're bound to get burned. In Proverbs chapter 6, verses 27 through 29, the author says, Can a man scoop fire into his lap without his clothes being burned? Can a man walk on hot coals without his feet being scorched? So is he who sleeps with another man's wife. No one who touches her will go unpunished. Right? Sex is a gift from God and is meant to be enjoyed and celebrated within the context of marriage. But once you remove it from its proper context, it can be both destructive and dangerous. Right? Think about the purpose and function of a fireplace. Right? Some of you probably have fireplaces in your own home, right? And when you have a fire in your fireplace, it is both practical and pleasurable, right? There is a purpose that it serves. It can heat the home. You can even cook on it. And it's beautiful to look at. But the moment you take that fire out of its proper context, you take it out of the fireplace and put it in the middle of your living room floor, it creates problems, doesn't it? Then it becomes dangerous. Then it becomes destructive. And and it's not serving the purpose that it was meant to serve. In fact, it it can be disastrous and ruin everything. It underscores the dramatic reversal from pleasure to pain that adultery and sin in general produces. Momentary pleasure results in inevitable pain for all the parties involved. We need to remind ourselves, too, in this context, that, that unfaithfulness in marriage can come in all shapes and forms, not just physical, the physical act of adultery. But it could be emotional. It could be mental. Right? It could be 
and it could be um, in a variety of forms. Remember in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus said that adultery was really a matter of the heart. It's possible to be emotionally and mentally unfaithful while never actually crossing any physical barriers. So it's important to, be, to safeguard and pro, be proactive and protect your marriage. In the same passage from Matthew 5, Jesus said it better, that it is better to pluck out an eye or cut off a hand in order to avoid the punishment of sin. I don't believe Jesus was advocating for self-mutilation. He was trying to make a point, right? We must be willing to sacrifice in order to protect ourselves from sin and protect the integrity of our marriages. So we should take necessary steps to avoid situations where we may be tempted. Billy Graham, the famous evangelist, was often mocked for what became known as the Billy Graham rule. You guys familiar with that? Whenever he, had, whenever he traveled, whenever he had speaking engagements, he was committed to never being alone with another woman in private that wasn't his wife. And he was ridiculed for it. People today that follow that same sort of, uh, uh, um, same sort of rule are ridiculed for it. But it actually, I mean... If we think about it, it makes a lot of sense in light of the, the enormous amounts of sexual scandals that have overcome not only the church, but politics and, and, and people in general. I'd rather be ridiculed and mocked for something and remain faithful than to put myself in a situation where temptation can become sin. So we need to know how we will respond when we're tempted as well. The battle is not fought in the moment of temptation. It's fought well ahead of time when you decide how you're going to respond. If you're an alcoholic, you don't wait until the drink is in your hand to decide how you, how you will respond. By then, it is too late. And we need to remember that not all temptation is avoidable, so you need to decide how you'll respond when you're faced with it. 1 Corinthians chapter 10 promises us that when we're tempted, God will provide for us a way out. We just need to look for it. You know, he'll provide a way out so that we can endure it. So we need to be on the lookout for those things. Honestly, the best safeguard for a healthy, faithful, good marriage is not the avoidance of temptation, although that's a part of it. You also need to pursue your spouse and put them first in your earthly relationships. Proverbs 5, 15 through 20 talks about the importance of rejoicing in your spouse, loving them, celebrating them, pursuing them. So we need to be intentional. Faithful commitment is more than the avoidance of temptation or sin. We must actively pursue our spouse throughout your relationship. Allie and I have been blessed to have, we've been very intentional about trying to have weekly date nights recently. We have a very amazing friend who offers to watch our kids so we can get out. And, and to be honest, a lot of time it's, it involves grocery shopping and a quick bite to eat. It's nothing fancy. But it's time that we are able to spend together without kids around and be able to just have a real adult conversation, right? Uh, even during the pandemic, it's, it's sometimes it's been picking up carry out and watching the girls volleyball team on the live stream. So, so it doesn't really, nece- it doesn't necessarily matter what you do, but it matters being intentional about spending time together, investing in one another and, and pursuing the other person in that relationship. The temptation in that though, is to be together, but not present. The temptation is to just turn your brains off at the end of a long day. This is something that, that, to be completely honest, Allie and I struggle with at times ourselves, right? We both work outside the home. We, both, we, have, we have young two young kids. And, and by the end of the day, by the time we get them in bed, we're tired and we're worn out. And the temptation is to just turn our brains off and not, not really interact on, on any deeper level than that. But that doesn't produce anything good or, or, or meaningful, right? It's, it's just spending time together until it's time for us to go to bed, too. And so we need to avoid that temptation as well. Spending time together is one thing, but really investing and intentionally pouring into one another is even better. If you guys aren't familiar with the five love languages, I would encourage you to look into those as a way to show and express love to one another. We kind of speak love in a different way, and and, and it's important to learn how your spouse gives and receives love so you can show them that love in as clear as, and an effective way as possible. And a quick rundown, those are words of affirmation, spending quality time together, acts of service, receiving gifts, and of course, physical touch. Most couples don't speak the same language. And even if they do, they must be intentional about communicating their love to one another. Too much, unfortunately, is lost in translation. 
Given our, our time constraints this morning, I'm going to I'm gonna have to forego speaking a little bit more clearly on, on the relationship between parents and children. Maybe I'll put something together for us. Um, but our time here together, I was able to focus more on, on that relationship between husband and wife. And I want to close with this. And this is a bit of encouragement I want to share with you. Is that in, in your marriage relationship, in that context between husband and wife, is, is, is so important because it's in that relationship that we will truly experience Christ-like love, grace, and forgiveness unlike any other relationship in our life. Your commitment to your spouse is permanent. It's a covenant relationship, which means within that, you can be vulnerable. You can be intimate. That person is going to get to know you better than anyone else in your life. And that has joy and it should be celebrated, but it also has some inherent dangers, right? Because the person who knows you the best can also hurt you the worst. They know what buttons to press. They know how to twist that knife just right in order to, to, to get you worked up and to, and, to, and, to, and, to, and to hurt you. But within that context, right, you also have the opportunity to experience grace and forgiveness unlike any other. And so as conflict comes up, as you experience those bumps in the roads like every marriage is going to experience, you have an opportunity in those moments to extend the grace of Christ to each other. You have an opportunity to demonstrate self-sacrificing, self-giving love unlike any other relationship you have. And so don't waste those opportunities. Learn to give and receive forgiveness. Don't sweep problems under the rug, but confront them head on together so that you can come through them stronger than before. And the only way to do that is to seek God together and experience the transforming grace of Christ on a personal level, but also towards each other in your marriage. Let's pray as we close our time together. Father God, I thank you for your goodness and your grace. I thank you that you have given us the example of the love of a husband and wife through your self-giving, self-sacrificing love. I pray, Lord Jesus, that you would equip us to have strong, faithful, good marriages and that they would be an example for others to follow. Lord, may your love and your light shine through us to our spouses, to our families, and to everyone who meets so that your goodness can shine through. We pray thus in Christ's name. Amen. As we stand, let's, uh, as we close our service, let's stand together and sing our closing praise song, Good, Good Father.
And may our Lord Jesus Christ himself and God our Father, who loved us and gave us his grace, by his grace gave us eternal encouragement and good hope, encourage your hearts and strengthen you in every good word and deed. You may go in peace. Amen. Like holy.